0: from Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. I'll give you time to find that if you like. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I pray that, you, that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the return of Jesus. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteousness of character produced produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Ruby Springer was a member of our church in Brunswick, and I loved her. She had a stroke with major complications, and she spent the last three months of her life in Parkview Hospital, and so I was able to visit with her often. I was so blessed every time we were together. She couldn't get out of bed, she needed complete care, and she could only speak two phrases. But her eyes would line up, light up as I walked into her room. I knew her story, and it was a beautiful one. She had been the community services director of her little church about an hour away from Brunswick. And on winter days, you could find her in the streets of Lewiston, Maine, hit hard with economic depression as the shoe and clothing manufacturing moved offshore. Immigrants had moved into the slums and no one in Lewiston, it seemed, worked. Androscoggin County was rated the fifth most impoverished county in the U.S. You're talking poverty, terrible poverty. So Ruby would gather up coats, hats, mittens, cocoa, and make soup, and go into the streets to hand these to anyone, children or adults the same, that looked cold. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, she went on cold patrol and was there trying to help Lewiston, Stay a little warmer. She tangibly loved the poor. And the two phrases that she spoke, the only two she could speak in her last days, love you and bless you. I was her pastor, so I thought I must be her favorite. But when we had care team meeting, I learned that she said those two phrases, to everyone who entered her room. Every human who entered her now small world was told repeatedly, love you and bless you. Her physical condition, her mental condition, could not keep her heart from abounding with more and more love. When I grow up, I want to be like Ruby. And when I grow old and all my filters are gone, I hope those are the two phrases I speak to. Every one of us wants our lives to matter. We want to love well. We want to be loved back. We want to make a difference in our world. And we want to live for something bigger than ourselves. Unfortunately, life happens, and the daily responsibilities of earning a living, raising our families, investing for our retirement, and then once we are retired, maintaining our property and our health, consume the better part of our attention on most days. Someone remarked to me that their calendar was now more full than it had ever been in their life, with trips to the doctor. It takes time, doesn't it? Just to keep that going, to make sure that we are taking care of our health, that we can get as much as we can out of the life that God has given us. And even in retirement, when we have quiet conversations, I hear many of you question whether you have spent your life well whether you were spending your last years in the most God-honoring way, if there might be something more that God has for you to do even now. So I have a word of encouragement or a word of challenge, depending on how you choose to hear it. As long as you have breath, you can choose to love. As long as your heart beats, God has something important for you to do. And even if you can't get out of bed, you can love, if you choose to. And if you will ask Jesus every day, what do you have for me to do today? he will specifically tell you that's a promise in the bible and i love that idea that he doesn't just place us on work and say on earth and say be good he says instead i will help you both to will and to do my good pleasure our scripture this morning is found in philippians 1 verses 9 through 11 This is one of the four prayers that Paul prayed and wrote down from his prison in Rome. He wrote them as letters to the churches in Ephesus, Colossae, and Philippi. And I am personally thankful that Paul was in jail. Because if he hadn't been, he'd be gallivanting around the countryside preaching and converting people, and this wouldn't have been written down. But because he was on house arrest and he couldn't go anywhere, he had to put his prayers and his sermons in writing. And so now we have them preserved for us to this day. And I believe that biblical prayers, the prayers that we find written in our Bibles, provide a template of how we are to pray for the church, for each other, and for ourselves. So let's look at this prayer. He begins in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's praying not only that we'll love more, but our love will be based on truth. Our love will be based on discernment that we'll know what other people need, and so we won't love them in a sloppy, messy, embarrassing way. We'll love them in the way they need to be loved. If we could learn to love more with spiritually mature love that's based on the knowledge of God's character and will and insight into human need, I believe everything else would fall into place. Love never fails. Love always has God's power to unlock even the hardest situation. And notice in this verse, there is no object mentioned as the recipient of that love. He doesn't say, love me more and more. He doesn't say love your husband or your wife more and more or your neighbor or your grandchildren or whatever. He just wants that love to be so available that it's for every single other human being and maybe even creatures that you meet, that your love will abound more and more. And the root of this knowledge and is there's the Greek word gnosis, and it refers not to head knowledge, but to heart knowledge, a deep experiential knowledge, not just facts in the head, but something that you personally feel and own in your heart. It's a close knowledge, an intimate acquaintance, with someone or something. So he wants, God wants us to pray to know him personally and to have that knowledge, personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, praying for more love is always a good idea, but praying for more love based on a personal heart relationship with Jesus is an even better one because that knowledge will make our love more effective. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Without a moment's hesitation, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And in this, the law and the prophets... Are fulfilled. Okay, that's Jesus. He says, These are the two things I want you to do. I want you to love me, and I want you to love each other. Seems pretty simple. Paul also said it this way love is the fulfillment of the law. And so, if you want to measure your progress in your Christian life, you measure it by whether you have more love today than you did yesterday, or if you have more love this year than last year. And so I like to begin my days with a question for God. I ask him, what is the most loving way that I can spend this day? Or as I'm facing a request Or a person, I ask, what is the most loving response to this situation that I am just being given right now? It's a good place to start. And Philippians 1, verse 10 continues, So that you may be able to discern what is best. The word discern serves as a warning because sometimes things might look like they're loving, but in reality they hurt the other person. Maybe you're taking control when you shouldn't be. Or maybe you're insulting them in the process of trying to love them. Sometimes our loving does more harm than good. Sometimes we bankrupt ourselves physically, emotionally, and financially in our attempts to love. And we end up angry and cynical in the process. So discernment puts some boundaries around our loving that says, you better talk to God about it and not just assume you know what love looks like. Get some feedback from the one who is love and defines himself that way. Well, discernment is like x-ray vision, It's to be able to look at the situations and size up people and know what they really need and then know how to reach out and love them best. It is one thing to want to love someone, but it is completely of a higher value to know how best to come alongside them and to give them the love that they need. So discernment means a practical understanding of people and situations, all types of situations and all types of people. So what Paul is praying for the Philippians is to have spiritual eyes to really see people and have insight into the lives of the people around them and then extend the love that comes from that knowledge. Jesus did this. He was not a sloppy lover. He was a generous lover. He was always out there trying to give his love away lover. But he could figure out what they each needed. Here's the promise. If Jesus lives in our hearts and we ask him for that discernment, We can have that same insight, one interaction at a time. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To realize that Jesus will help us to know how to love the people around us in exactly the way they need to be loved. So as we say yes to love, we need to seek counsel from the greatest and the wisest lover in the universe so that his wisdom can help us love in the way that will honor him most. So the end of our Philippians 1 passage, verse 11, tells us that this kind of pure, blameless, and effective love comes from Jesus, from Christ It's only a fruit of righteousness. It's only by his righteousness and his love in our lives. So, when we say yes to his love for us, when we say yes to his will for us, this predicates any good love we ever have to share with anyone else. When we love Jesus better, we love each other better too. But we have to ask for that discernment. Have any of you been asking for discernment? Hopefully, we all are asking for discernment every single day. Maybe we don't call it that. But we, we need to talk to him about the situations in our life and ask for his input because he can help us do a better job. Lisa Turkhurst, in her book, The Best Yes, from which this sermon is copied the title, she describes that she had to apply some principles when approached by a young woman who asked her if she could come live in her home. Now you have to understand that Lisa has five teenagers and a child from Africa she just had adopted. And so this was a busy household. And as she talked to the Lord about this request, Lisa realized she had the financial resources and the physical, the spiritual resources Resources, And she had knowledge that could make a difference in this young woman's life. But she realized that she did not have the emotional resources to have one more needy person under her roof with a complex set of needs and access to her 24-7. And so she said what initially looked like the most loving thing to do would bankrupt her emotionally and eventually caused her to fail at loving. Therefore, she said to the young woman, I want to be your friend. I will schedule two hours a week at two different times just to hang out with you and to be together, but I cannot have you live with us. She could be a better friend and more loving by doing it that way. So what you do when you decide what the most loving thing to do is to ask yourself, with God's help, do I have what it takes to follow through with what I'm just about to say yes with to? Sometimes we do, and God says, yes, say yes, I want you to do this thing. It won't kill you. You might get tired, but you're going to make it. Other times God says, no, that one's not for you. You don't have the resources it will take to love well to the end. Lisa had to ask for that discernment. It was not readily apparent at the first thought. We don't get this love or even a knowledge of God's will for our day without checking in and having a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, a brand-new high school graduate and I won't name this graduate, it's not in my family, was praying for a summer job so he could go to Christian college. But when he was asked whether he was going to apply for a job and which job he wanted, he said, I'm not going to apply anywhere. If God wants me to work, he'll send the job my way. The same brilliant young man said, if God wants me to get good grades... It's up to him. When he received his report card, he concluded that it was not God's will for him to get good grades. <laughs> that attitude makes about as much sense as walking across the corner of Washington Street in Squim Ave, you can visualize it down there, with your eyes closed and saying, if God wants me to make it across the street, he'll make sure the cars miss me. It is absurdly presumptuous to assume that God is going to hand you a downloaded access to his complete unabridged plan for your life without any effort on your part. That you never do have to check in with him, that you never do need marching orders for that particular day or even that particular 10 minutes. That God just is going to somehow by your gut Let you know always what you're supposed to do. How's that working for you? How are your guts doing? Helping you make good decisions. What's inferred with God saying he's going to give us discernment is that we have to work on it. That we have to ask him, we have to apply the wisdom that he hands to us. When we surrender our lives to God, we no longer ask, why am I here? Instead, we remind ourselves, I belong to him. I am here, and I am his. And since we belong to him, we know we have something important to do, something that's uniquely chosen according to how he made us and who he made us to be. So we ask him, what's the next step? Show me your ways. Keep my eyes and my ears open to the Spirit's leading. This very hour, help me follow you. And maybe we need to pray a bigger prayer and take ourselves out of the center of the universe. It's really common for us to ask, what is God's will for me? Good question. But maybe not the ra- the right question. Instead let's pray a bigger prayer and say what is God's will. Period. What is God's will for this town of Squim? What is God's will for the homeless people here? What is God's will for the children of this town? What is God's will for the veterans that have all kinds of issues? that they still are working through in this town. What is God's will? Instead of, it's all about me, to say, okay, Lord, show me the big picture. What do you want to happen here? Thy will be done. Guess what? That's the best prayer ever. Thy will be done through me, if you want In me, of course. Sometimes we are so worried about making a bad choice that we're paralyzed with angst and decision-making inertia. And some of us, just if we don't have a clear plan, then we don't do anything, which maybe isn't a bad idea. My friend Chick said that the more mature we become, the more complex our choices become. By the time we are older, the stuff that's easy, we make those decisions without even thinking about it. You have to pay your taxes. You should pay your tithe. You should eat vegetables every day. And by the time you've done life for a while, you understand those things. No sweat. But the places that stymie us become layered with with potential risks and benefits Because we know that bad choices cost, and they hurt. And guess what? They should. Bad choices that hurt are the only way that God wakes us up and helps us to turn around and do that little U-turn to start making better ones. If we didn't hurt when we made bad choices, then we'd keep making them. And then where would we be? We now understand that bad decisions cost because it's not our first rodeo. And we've been thrown more than once, right? Anybody here made any bad choices that hurt? Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. So because we have this clarity as we mature, the temptation to just say no It becomes stronger and stronger. I will not move until I know for sure. I'm going to pray it through, and I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to pray it, and meanwhile, I'm going to sit here, right? But meanwhile, if we always just say no, we miss out on much that life has to offer us. We don't grow in trust by choosing safety, and our love doesn't abound more and more. When we just decide, I'm going to make this really good, safe choice, I'm not getting out of my easy chair. I'm safe here. I will not sin in this easy chair. A.W. Tozer said something that really has helped me not be paralyzed by analysis of my choices. This is what he said. The man or woman who is holy and joyously surrendered to Christ can't make a wrong choice. Any choice will be the right one. Wow. Do you believe that? But what's the key word there? surrendered and it's only surrender that allows us to to get to the best yes if we don't surrender we can't claim the rest of it but if we are surrendered and if we have asked him and if we follow his leading to the best of our abilities if we get off course he's going to be there and he's going to get us back on If we make a mistake, he's going to show us how to fix it. The the circles of the detours in our lives get shorter and shorter and quicker and quicker when we are surrendered. And we don't have to be afraid anymore. I might make a bad choice. No, we just trust that he's going to help us make the right choice, and if not, he's going to help us after to get back to where we can start making good choices again. He can help us make U-turns. And we have a companion, a counselor, and a friend who has promised to help. John 14, verse 26 promises that the Holy Spirit not only teaches us all things, but I love this, he will remind you of everything he has said, he will remind us. In just the right moment, at just the time that we need discernment to make a good decision, the Holy Spirit is there with Bible verses sometimes saying, Remember this, remember that, consider this, consider that. Is this loving? Do you have the resources? And the Holy Spirit is available 24-7. Whenever you need to make a decision, he's on call and right there to help you make the best one. I love that. Well, I greatly desire for God to lead me. More than anything, I want to just live my life at the center of his will just right in the middle of exactly where he wants me to be. And I believe that the more I seek him, the more I ask him, the more I let him have input into my choices, the more within his will I'm going to be. There's always going to be a next step, and he's going to help me make it. Once I trust him, I just want to trust him more. I've learned that his plan is good. So here's my good news of the morning. God wants to lead us even more than we want to be led. Whoa! Oh. in fact, part of how he describes himself and all those stories in the Bible, so many of them are about God leading his people, him helping his people to make good choices. That's what God does is lead us. It's part of his love. Guidance is at the heart of that personal relationship that he invites us into. The problem with guidance is rarely lack of information. It's almost always lack of submission, which is a problem with trust. But seeking and following his guidance is the smartest thing we can do. And we never ever get to a best yes without submission. Okay, I have a picture for you. You ever see one of these? Probably for some of you it's been a long time. What do you use a car like that for? It's a driver's ed car. That there are two steering wheels and two sets of throttle and brake. And most of us wish that our life was like a dual control cart. We could let God do the driving until he took us somewhere we'd rather not go. And then we could tell him, "Um, I'm claiming my right to be in control of my power of choice. Thanks for your help. I'm taking it from here. Do we do that? Even though God is right over there and he could keep steering and he could keep braking, he gave Mark to me to be my brakes. God breaks by having Mark say, Do you really want to do that? <laughs> we want God to be in control until we're not in submission to him anymore, until we want to do it our way. So what's the alternative to choosing our own way? To say at every single juncture, thy will be done. If we look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it says that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This solid, reliable understanding is something we can build our lives upon. And where do we get it? We get it from the good book. This book that we hold in our hands, that God says, build your life on this. And when you build your house that way, it won't fall down when the storms come. That's the promise. But so often, we forget to check with him. Or so often, maybe we don't check with him because we know what he will say. One of my teenagers confessed, I didn't ask you because I knew what you'd say. Right? You'd say no. And plus, I knew you'd still love me. I'm thinking, uh uh-oh. If we fail at listening to God's gentle warning, he will still love us, but he sometimes can't shield us from the consequences of our bad choices. He'll be there to help pick up the pieces, but we will have lost the best yes. We will have lost that joy of being in the center of his will. On the other hand, if we surrender every day, several times a day, then we're in line to get that input if we ask for it. Well, I found a short article on decision-making in the Experiencing God workbook, and I had it put in your bulletin as an insert. I wanted you to have it because many, many people that I've given this to have thanked me, not in the moment, but sometimes weeks or months later when they had a decision to make and they pulled it out. And used it, so I want you to you know tape it on the inside of a cupboard door or put it in a file of papers you 're going to need someday because you 're going to need it someday. This is help in making the best yes, George Mueller, you know the story of who George Mueller was, right the op- you know all those orphanages, and he lived on faith, and he never asked for money, and he 's an amazing man. Anyway, I want you to look specifically at number one on that sheet. He says, I see at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. In other words, I come to the place where I'm not going to throw a fit if God tells me to go the way opposite of the way I want to go. Then he says, nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is here. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the knowledge of what his will is. Surrender is the key to a best yes. And I'm not going to go down through all the rest of them. You can read, take it, and use it. There is a certain harbor in Italy, that can be reached only by sailing through a narrow channel between dangerous rocks and shoals. Over the years, many ships were wrecked, and the navigation was very hazardous. So, to keep the ships safely guided as they went into the port, three lights were mounted on these huge piers in the harbor. And as the ship came in, if they could see three lights, they would know they weren't in the right place. If they could see two lights even, they would know they weren't in the right channel. Only when the three lights were lined perfectly up could they go down that channel and know they would make it safely to the, to the shore. Well, God has provided some lights for us, some beacons to guide us, to help us make good decisions and I just want to remind you of them the first is the teaching of scripture if it does not recommend in scripture doing what you're thinking about doing just back pedal back back up and pray for for strength the second is the promptings the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit as you pray you can't make a good decision if you haven't been praying period You make bad decisions when you don't pray. The third is to look at the circumstantial evidence. Is the door opening up? Is the door closing? Take a good look at that. Is God at work? The fourth light, now see, they have more lights than the three in Italy, but the fourth guiding light is the counsel of wise, godly people. And I heard once that you should never take counsel from someone who offers it unless it's someone that you would have gone to for counsel in the first place. (laughs) You know, if it's someone that you respect that has the life that you would like to have your life be like, take their counsel. And the fifth is the congruity with this opportunity and your own unique design. Will you be able to be who God asks you to be by doing this thing? So, in the end, pursuing God's will is not a technique, it's not a method, it's not a litmus test, it's a relationship. And we can bring Him everything. Shall I buy the red peppers that are $2.99 or the green peppers that are a dollar a pound? Help me with this, Lord. And you say, you're crazy, Colette. No. Is the, does the nutrition or the economy, which is the higher value, help me, Lord? And he will tell me, you know, okay, go for the red ones, of course. There are no big or little decisions in the eyes of God. And asking him into the decisions actually asks him into our life. If we will let him, he will guide us. And in the process, we will learn to love and make our decisions based on love that abounds. And when we do that, life gets really exciting. Stand up. Will. Sorry, Bill. Uh, we have a really, really good song to sing at the end here. It's about kind of looking at life from the end back and uh, just a wonderful song. So please, please sing it with us. <laughs> Father, you know the end from the beginning. And you know what our lives will be when it's all been said and done. May our lives be built upon love, your love, and the love that you put into our hearts for each other, discerning love that knows what the best yes looks like. And Lord, may we seek your face every day May we take our day-by-day assignments and prompts from you and help us to make the choices that would honor you most. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit will be there to help us. And if we get off track, you come looking and bring us back. But, Lord, we just really want to be In your will, and so we say, thy will be done in every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.